If you live in the South Metro area and have been looking for top-notch customer service, extensive beer, wine, and spirit selections, and unbeatable prices, look no further than Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. You won't find a more varied inventory anywhere else. Don't just take it from me, guys. This is Michael, and he's been shopping at Davidson's since they opened. The thing I like about Davidson's versus the competitors, it has a larger selection. And if I am going to buy Spirit, then Davidson's is usually my first choice as well because just of the size of the selection. I also like the extensive selection of some hard-to-find items. But that's not all. Every department is staffed with highly trained specialists who can help you find exactly what you're looking for. I've always found the folks that you chat with to be knowledgeable. I've chatted with the spirit staff about different bourbons and different vodkas, and I am always chatting with the wine staff about different things and saying, I like this, what else do you have that's similar? Particularly when I go to non-U.S. wines, I find them extremely helpful and helping me find something I'm looking for. What are you waiting for? Head to either of their locations in Centennial or Highlands Ranch and follow them on Facebook to stay up to date on their latest specials. And go in the air, deep right center go. field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, watch it go Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. Drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. I don't want to lose your love tonight. Welcome into the BSN Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. Visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations or browse their entire inventory online at mygreensolution.com. Reserve products online and pick up at your local TGS Express checkout. You'll be in and out in minutes. Use code BSN20 for 20% off your entire purchase. Now, let's jump into the show. All right, I am your host, Drew Creaseman, the managing editor of BSN Rockies. And alongside me for this one today is our guy, Patrick Lyons. Wanted to jump into a big topic of conversation that I really only loosely alluded to and talked about on the podcast throughout the year, but has obviously been one of the major storylines in baseball this season. I wrote an article recently published on bsndenver.com. Make sure to subscribe, although that one's free. So if you're not a subscriber, go and check it out so you can get an example of the kind of thing you'll have access to if you do subscribe. And... I went over another element of, I guess, what we must loosely refer to, because everyone knows what I mean. I don't like the word. I mentioned this in the article. uh, The word juiced can be a little bit loaded in the game of baseball, and uh, it can imply a certain amount of intent. And for the time being, at least, maybe at the very end of this conversation, but... You know, I'm not sure how much information either of us has to be able to speak on intent. But what we can speak to as observers of the game, as people whose jobs it is to report facts about the game of baseball, that it is clearly flying farther than it ever has before. Uh, I want to I put a few statistics out there as we begin and also even promo Uh, a future podcast coming up where I'm going to be uh, speaking with someone who's been following this for a lot longer than I have. So be on the lookout for that, and and, and we'll repeat some of these facts. But just so we're all working from a broad base here, Major League Baseball is on record to break its own home run record set only in 2017 by 700 home runs. Minor League Baseball, Triple A, I should say, set to break it by well over thousand those are eye-popping numbers the report that I did uh, found out that there's also probably an element that goes back even a little bit further and that part of the reason why the baseballs are flying more is that bats are breaking less and less and this is something I don't know that those things were ever necessarily related we don't know again if it was on purpose but The fact remains, Patrick, that we are now living in a world where uh, baseballs are just flying out at an absolute 
record pace. So what has been your observation of this phenomenon this season? And what were some of your reactions once we started getting in for this information, then once you ultimately edited and, and we published the piece I wrote the other day uh, about all of this that has created an environment in baseball unlike anything we've seen before? Well, as you introduced this, juiced was the word, and you felt like maybe that wasn't the proper word to use. I think that's mainly because the first time we ever heard the phrase juiced to you know describe offense here in baseball was – to describe the players, you know, Jose Canseco's uh, right. autobiography of not only his usage of performance enhancing drugs, as well as several of his teammates was called juiced. So that terminology or that, that term itself, the etymology of the word comes from having control, having the choice of increasing offensive output. And as you've kind of correctly uh, rephrased it, you know, we don't, we're not sure if Major League Baseball has had control over this, if it was their decision to uh, mess with the laces on these balls so that they were slightly thicker and thus uh, slightly flatter on the ball, creating uh, an effect that allows the ball to, to carry a lot further and be more aerodynamic. And since Major League Baseball, from, from everything that we've researched together, and this was not in the piece, they do not own any of the bat companies that are approved uh, for use in a Major League game. They don't stand to benefit at all from bats that may be juiced, as, as you touched upon and maybe we'll talk right. about further. But it, it, there's no denying it. Whether you're looking at statistics or not, the ball is, is flying just far enough to, to get over the wall. It's nothing that you can see where you think, all right, now the ball's going to come down at this point, or when the ball's hit off the bat, I don't necessarily have a prediction. Like, I think that's going to be about 322 in the gap. I just know, you know, that ball's hit well, and there's been plenty of times where I thought, well, that ball's hit well, but not well enough for a home run, and then you see the ball traveling about seven, eight, nine rows deep into the left field bleachers, and you think, that uh, that was not what I was expecting, and that's been a very common occurrence here in 2019. Yeah, I'll I'll never forget this conversation I had in college with a friend of mine who didn't really watch baseball, and I was watching a game, and after a particular swing, who knows what it was, uh, I, I reacted immediately based on the swing, based on the way the ball came off the bat. I think I think I knew it was a home run, you know. And the guy asked me, he said, "How do you know?" I was like, I can't tell the difference. I mean, until they go to the shot where you can see the ball flying, how do you even know? And I, and I just sort of explained, as anyone listening to this knows, you watch enough baseball, you see the ball come off the bat, and you get an intuitive sense of what's well hit, what's likely to get out, what's likely to get in the gap, what's likely to get through or over the infield. And that sense, I think, has been thrown off for everybody watching the game this year. Uh, the guy I'm going to have on uh, on the follow-up who... Uh, runs the the Twitter account with all of the the gifts you can go and look and one of the most common things from these home runs is the the batter takes a swing then takes a step back like ah, I got underneath that that's a fly out and then starts to and then suddenly goes oh I better have to run around the bases that's going to get out there it might get in the gap might get over the wall and so we're, we're all just kind of uh, bearing witness to this but I, I did want to get your take more on our specific part of it before we get into the bigger picture stuff uh, with looking at these bats because the the first person that put it on to me and I, and I think a lot of people read this I've only seen one person come back and say hey they did this thing with the bats a while ago I don't know why you're talking about it now but it was so intuitive I hadn't thought of it I hadn't thought oh yeah uh, before this player put me onto it I did not think bats are breaking less and the very moment he said it I went oh yeah they definitely are. Was it, was it, did you have a similar reaction, or were you maybe a little more skeptical and saying, I don't know, are, are, are we sure that, these, that there's something different here? Because um, it did turn out, and, and, we found, and we can talk about this too, there's a bit more of a nuance. It's not that they're not breaking at all anymore. There are these smaller cracks that do still happen. But as, as soon as it was put to me, I just went in my mind and ran back through the last couple of years. I was going, yeah, you just don't see the shattered bats the way you used to. Yeah, it wasn't a product of 2019 exactly, but definitely just one of the more 
recent times because it was about a decade ago that we saw a lot of shards of bats flying all over the place. And it really became, you know, something rather bothersome where, where someone's really going to get hurt. Someone, someone could even die from something like this. And, you know, I, I don't know what it was exactly that Major League Baseball did to in, in, ensure this from not happening. Uh, I think some of it has to do with the players being able to put tape around the bar, uh, excuse me, the handles of the bats. Uh, you know, there are, there are people with much better educations than, than either of us put together, particularly from the scientific front, uh-huh. that may have been able to predict something like that and say, if we can just maybe trim down the, the thinness of these handles, but then, you know, be able to use lizard skin, as, as one of the, the tape and grip companies are called, but, but allow players to do this, that will actually firm up the the wood, the the maple, uh, which is the most prominent type of wood used for major league ball players, then that will prevent you know these shards from flying off into the field uh, at a at a catastrophic rate. And so, yeah, in in recent years, it had definitely continued to improve. But then, exactly as you mentioned, you know, as soon as you start watching a game, looking for something, then you really begin to see like, wow, that hardly ever happens i think saturday night's game it's funny because the the piece just went up but on uh excuse me friday night's game and then gray did it yeah john gray did it <laughs> yeah. and then saturday the piece comes out i'm like oh, i wonder if anyone's gonna notice that but it, you, you really you just don't you don't see that anymore and you also don't see how the bats are are, are shattering if you will and i know that's that jumps into that next point that i know you want to talk more about yeah, well, and, and that's the thing that I, I think stuck out more to me because there really aren't, like, I tried to find some things uh, about pinpointing. Look, it's baseball. We want to find the exact statistics. How many bats broke last year? How many bats broke this year? Uh, that's not really a, a thing. It's certainly not publicly available information. Uh, and that would be interesting, but th- there could also be a number of other factors about why they are or aren't breaking more or less. The thing that really struck stuck out to me was when uh, it, it was pointed out they're breaking differently, that they just don't explode in a guy's hands anymore. And, and these guys were telling me, like, yeah, you won't see it. And then, in fact, somebody said on the broadcast that night after we had posted the story, someone hit us up on Twitter, and Drew Goodman had said on the broadcast, it sounds like so-and-so broke his bat. That's what we hear now. It sounds like the bat was broke. It used to be there was very little guesswork. The giant shard of wood flying at your second baseman uh, gave away (laughs) what had gone on here. Um, And then those other ones were the ones that strike me the most because that's where I think it it may be related to what's going on with the ball is the hit off the end of the bat that used to, if you cued it just wrong, it would splinter the thing right down the middle. And sometimes you would literally, you'd see a guy take, holding a shard of a bat that was still its original length, just cut right down the middle, right? He'd have like a long stick in his hand, half a stick. And I can't remember the last time I saw a bat break like that. And instead, what we see when guys swing late and cue it off the end of the bat, those are the 30% home runs here at Coors left on left going out over the left field. Well, not to pick on Max Muncy, but... I, it wouldn't surprise me if Muncie broke his bat on one of those home runs that we didn't necessarily know. It did a little, like a little grain cut off, but it held its foundation. Yeah, that's exactly right, is that the, the bat is still intact, yet the ball went out. And, you know, we've talked to several pitchers during the course of the season where, where Bud Black will say, hey, he made his pitch and he, he hit the right spot. Or uh, a pitcher goes, yeah, I, I made my pitch, I got him out, but shoot, man, that, that ball just kept not only traveling, but, you know, he, he didn't get good wood on it. It was off the end of the bat, but somehow it, it crept over the, the wall, and it's a home run, and now he looks like he won, and, and I didn't, and, and that's exactly what your piece does a great job in illuminating. And uh, we even quoted Kyle Freeland in there, and he didn't specifically say anything about the baseball. And like you said, it's, we've been hearing these kinds of quotes all year where he said, I made a perfect backdoor slider to the guy, and he went out and hit it, and it came off the bat at 99 miles an hour, which is pretty good exit velo, but it went 425 feet. That's, 
you know, for an almost a one-handed swing. And, and some of the things, too, I've seen people point to the exit velos. Um, but even that's some of the part of the point. It wouldn't have quite a high exit velocity if the bats weren't holding their structure in some of these times when they probably otherwise wouldn't be. And I, I think the thing about this that was the weirdest for me to process and understand at all, and you and I talked about this when we were putting the piece together, was this notion of the label. I think it's very easy for us to understand. The bats are made of, they're just made better. Lots of things that were made 20 years ago are, are made better now, right? And I think that we could also both very easily, and you did just a moment ago, argue that it's a good thing that bats aren't breaking and, and that your second baseman doesn't have to dodge stuff or fans, some, you know, that used to be a lot more of a problem too, fans having to dodge the bat. But when I heard about how they changed the placement of the label, and at first it just didn't make any sense to me, but with, with it going with the grain as opposed to against the grain on the bat, that this also may have something to do with why balls in on the handle. You used to hear it all the time when a, a, an announcer would explain to you, when it maybe looked like a guy hit it well, but a line drive died. Why? Well, he hit it off the label. But now you can hit it off the label and, again, get a drive into the gap or over the wall. Uh, and I had, I had never considered that either. I think that was the weirdest wrinkle of the whole thing, that the, actually where you put the label on the bat could have an impact on how well it holds its foundation. And how you put that label on. You know, for many years it was just simple branding. You know, they would even can recall some Louisville Slugger commercials where, you know, you see the little brand go on and the, the steam, you know, rise up or the smoke those, rise yeah. up. You know, yeah, that, that's how you would, you would to, to, to paraphrase or to, to use the metaphor, you know, burned into your memory. Well, that was why. It, it's permanent, uh, permanently transfixed on your mind, that, that image. Um, well, now they've, they've got, you know, laser etching. So that could also be a factor as to, um, you know, the, the composition of these bats and, and leaving them a little stiffer. And, you know, you, you mentioned something as far as, um, you know, the, the, the hardness of the wood or, or how they're able to, to stay together and, and exit velocity. Well, as soon as guys are now playing for not even statistics so much, but just these uh, numbers as far as scientifically with the exit velocity, where you think, all right, I can only swing so hard, and you know, I can only uh, <laughs> build up my muscles so much to still keep them sinewy, but maybe the bats themselves, how can I have a, a harder bat so that I have increased my exit velocity so that I can stay in the majors a little bit longer or make this all-star team or you know, make this much in arbitration or get this you know, contract as a free agent because my exit velocity now on average is you know, 93 and a half rather than 91, and that makes me more valuable because you can now maybe project that, you know what, I had a little bit of bad luck, but because I'm hitting the ball harder now, because my bat's better, well, now I can make more money and I'm, I'm a little bit more marketable to another team. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you would think that, you know, a, a lot of these guys are going to, it's going to change the way they swing. I don't have to swing quite as hard as I used to. And, and it's going to have all kinds of interesting impacts on the game as we move forward. And if that's got you down or maybe that's got you up, maybe you love all the home runs, you don't care. Maybe either way, we're going to talk about that next. But if you're enjoying it or it's got you down, either way, the solution for your problems is to have a Breckenridge brew. Very clearly, the official beer of BSN Denver. Get yourself a vanilla porter, an oatmeal stout, an avalanche amber, or the beer of the summer, the strawberry sky. You will enjoy them with baseball or without baseball, but obviously better enjoyed with baseball. Also, don't forget, we're going to be having a fun outing down at Blake Street Tavern just about a block from Coors Field on August 24th. A lot of people are going to be watching Broncos football. I'll be checking in on that as well. Not even going to lie to you, but we will be talking baseball. We will be watching the Rockies against the Cardinals that evening. So come hang out with us. Have a good time. Uh, drink a couple beers. Let us know what you think of all of these home runs flying out all over Major League Baseball this year. Uh, and then for any other events, make sure you check the BSN Denver events calendar at bsndenver.com. Uh, as I said a moment ago, I do want us to get into now, the I guess, the bigger conversation of is this good for the, does something need to be done here or is this just naturally what has occurred and, and we need to accept it? So I'm going to take a quick break, come back on the other side, and we'll get into all of that. 
Diamond Club Baseball has produced elite athletes for 10 years now and is even trusted by your Colorado Rockies to run their scout team program. Diamond Club is based right here in Denver, and their goal is to treat player development just like it's a minor league organization so that your child can be set up for the ultimate success. Everyone works together to make sure that everyone's getting the proper instruction that they need to help youth athletes grow and to become great ball players yet enjoy the game. That's why I have my son playing with Diamond Club because it's it's a great way to really show them they're, they're learning baseball the right way. That was Sean. As he mentioned, his son plays on a Diamond Club team. They offer multiple summer camps, private lessons, high school teams, and youth competitive teams. Plus, their prices are more affordable than their competition. Diamond Club has very fair price. You know, when you kind of pay and know that all fees for the tournaments, fields, uniforms, and instruction are taken care of, as well as getting access to some of the things that other programs don't offer, like entire team instruction and fitness programs, you know, the whole package to really make sure that a ball player ends up a well-rounded youth athlete. Believe us when we tell you that after experiencing the knowledge, positive attitude, work ethic, and fun that their summer camps provide, your child will want to play on one of their teams. Check out diamondclubbaseball.net today to learn more. The Colorado Golf Association was founded in 1915 with the purpose of representing, promoting, and serving the best interests of golf in Colorado. A CGA membership costs $59.95 yearly, and it gives you access to member offers, discounts, events and programs, a 20% discount on green fees at Common Ground Golf Course, and so much more. The best feature of Common Ground is that it's owned by the Colorado Golf Association, and that changes everything because our mission is to use Common Ground as a live laboratory for creative programs, innovative programs that will grow the game, that will introduce it to a wider audience. It's hard to put your finger on what makes a golf course fun. Uh, it's challenged, but it's also playable, and it's a great value. That was Ed May, Executive Director of the Colorado Golf Association. He has worked with the CGA for over 30 years now. The CGA is currently conducting its third annual Dream Golf Vacation Raffle in partnership with the Bandon Dunes Resort. For $20, you can enter a raffle to win the Bandon Resort. Wonderful dream vacation that includes six rounds of golf on all three golf courses. Started selling raffle tickets a couple weeks ago, and we'll draw the lucky winner here later this summer. For a chance to win, enter at coloradogolf.org slash B-A-N-D-O-N. All right, welcome back into the BSN Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. Drew Creaseman here alongside with Patrick Lyons, and we've been discussing the new era. We really are living in a new era of baseball, I think, from these last couple of years. A lot of it's going to be attributed to the baseballs as well it should be. As I talked about, the bats also need to be a part of this conversation. But then there's this element, and I, I uh, editorialized a bit at the end of the article where I, I think I suggested really just in the final two paragraphs that this maybe isn't the best thing for the game. And I, I gave an extreme choice, probably a false dichotomy, but I did anyway, uh, stating essentially that either we can get used to this and this is the new game, or we can try to do something so that baseball will again have to be about hitting and throwing and catching and running the bases and all of the other little things because the more and more the game becomes about strikeouts, walks, and home runs, the less everything else matters. Why run the bases that well? Why even try to run the bases that well? Just wait till somebody hits one over the fence. Then your ability to run the bases really does not matter. They just let you, they let you do it however long it's going to take. <laughs> you just jog all the way around, right? Uh, and so for me, I don't want to see those things go out of the game. Am I panicking? Is it too early, Patrick, to be concerned about it? Is, is this a plague on the game of baseball? Or is this just another era, like many, many others, that it will come, it will go, and baseball will remain and, and always be the wonderful game it is? I think it is just the era. I think baseball would be doing somewhat of a disservice if they tried to artificially change uh, the game in, in, a, in a certain way obviously we've seen some of the things and there's there's still so much more to kind of break down and to to learn about the Atlantic League and everything that Major League Baseball has done in their partnership 
with the independent league, the the Atlantic League, with you know not allowing shifts and the robotic umpires, as well as being able to steal first base, uh, which is the most interesting of them all. So I think it's it's good for baseball to kind of explore these options, but to artificially make some kind of change and to force something, I think really would be a disservice because it, it's just the time. The game always evolves. The game adapts uh, players, pitchers, hitters uh, during these uh, different point points uh, along the way for Major League Baseball, they they find ways of being successful, successful, and and they figure it out. Uh, stolen bases are down now. Is that because guys are hitting more home runs, or is that because the value of a stolen base isn't worth what it once was? Now, some of that has to do with with the the home run, but also we've learned, and if going back nearly, we're approaching the 20th anniversary of of Michael Lewis's. Um, classic money ball that you know if you're not stealing bases at 75 to 80 percent success rate then you are you're hurting your offense you're you're not creating more offense you're not improving your chances and and giving your team more opportunities to score runs so it, it no longer becomes worth that also if guys are throwing uh, a, a touch faster you know I'm, I'm sure the average uh speed of a pitch whether it's a fastball or off speed has probably gone up by a mile or a mile and sure. a half which now you know the ball's getting down to second base uh, with a much quicker pop time as well catcher's defense is now more valuable than ever before so now it's even harder to steal bases we can't really blame that on the rise in, in home runs and right. strikeouts right. so you know i think players will will begin to adapt i i don't necessarily know how that is that's not my job to <laughs> to figure that out I, I i wish it was in a way right yeah but i i think pitchers will will start to figure this out coaches will start to figure this out and we'll get back to a time in which you know maybe pitching dominates more or we see baseball played being more about contact and, and defense than it is about Earl Weaver's style of, of waiting for that three-run home run. Right. Now it's it's about waiting for a handful of three-run home runs winning a ball game. So uh, I think it would be uh, somewhat of a travesty if baseball tried to artificially change the game in that way to, to try to minimize home runs. If they want to improve the game and make you know minor adjustments here and there, that's fine. That That's always going to happen. But to try to kibosh this this one thing, I, I, I don't necessarily know that that's really worth it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think I, do, I, I agree with where you're coming from, and I agree with most of what you said, and I, and I think that's why I would ultimately say, you know, when it comes to the bats, there really is nothing to be done about that. Uh, I did write about it because I think it needs to be talked about. It needs to be understood. That's an, an element of what's going on as well. But I don't think that that's a problem that you need to solve. I, I do think that it's ultimately better that the bats hold their structure. And if that happens to mean that some balls get hit harder, fine. No problem with that. The one place I would push back is I, I could hear somebody very easily arguing they've already artificially messed with the game of baseball by introducing the new one and it having only been around now for a couple of years that arguing in favor not of some new solution to this problem to as you put it try to minimize home runs but rather just go back to the old baseball now i don't know if the the problem is business speaking financially I don't think there's a way to do that. Major League Baseball's got to deal with Rawlings. They make the, the baseballs now. That's how it's going to be. So you would have to get them to try to change the balls back to the kind of specifics that it used to have. And so that, that's where I agree with you where it could be tricky. I think if it was as easy enough as going back to the ball, but uh, the old ball, they then I'd really be arguing for it. But it reminds me of this. This happened uh, several years ago in the NBA. They tried to change the basketball. And there was an overwhelming negative reaction to it among the players who have a lot more power in that sp- sport than, than baseball players do for certain things like this, certainly. Uh, you, you, can get pretty, you get fined pretty fast in baseball for complaining about rules and, and, and league stuff. And so it's interesting to me because they, they, like that, they went back to the old ball about half a season through that one NBA year. Uh, this has gone on a little bit longer now. It might be 
but it's also had this more dramatic effect, as we said. I mean, 700 more than the all-time record, which is also just going back to uh, really when they first started putting in these baseballs. Uh, again, I, I understand with what, what you're saying. Like, I wouldn't be overly weird about it, but I'd, I, and I wouldn't necessarily want it to go the other direction, but I, I don't know. I think it may be more of a fundamental change. And, and as I put in the piece, the thing that bothers me most about it is there's always been this concept of a winning and a losing at bat. And yes, there have been ways to lose an at bat and come out with a hit throughout the entire history of baseball. You swing late, you break your bat, and you get a flare single. That can happen. That's always been the possibility. But now more and more what we see are hitters getting absolutely beat. And, and this is another element that we don't have the science on yet, but I've talked to people about the problem is inconsistency with the baseball. So it's not just that every single one of them are flying out. It's that some of them are flying out more than others. And if that's the case, then who's winning individual at-bats and therefore ultimately individual baseball games might just be, well, who happened to get the ball on that pitch that flew further? Or who happens to be hitting more pop-ups today? I mentioned at one point in the article, I said Coors Field's starting to feel like it's a contest of who can eke out the most cheap hits. And that's the part of it I could see because people love home runs. Like we know it's not going to be a problem for most casual audiences, right? More scoring, more home runs. But I think it does make it more difficult to explain to somebody like, oh, did he win that at bat? Like we were talking about with the Eduardo Escobar home run against Kyle Freeland. Well, no, not really. He took a bad one-handed swing. He stepped in the bucket, he got it off the end of the bat, but he hit a 425-foot home run. So how can I say he didn't win the at-bat? And, and that's the part where I feel like it's just too fundamental of a change. If there's any way they could bring it back down to earth a little bit, and that's where I just don't know the science on it. But we can probably never go back to the old baseballs. But I don't know. For me, it's, it's just... It's getting a little bit out of hand. Out I, think, I think it will come back. I think it will come back to earth. You know, this season, I think maybe, and maybe there'll be one more of it, but we may be at a tipping point where it, it, it's reached its extremeness. Be, because I think if you go back to about 2016, 2017, before, you know, Major League Baseball purchased Rawlings and, and you know, orchestrated this change, there was already becoming this trend of these tr three true outcome players or right. strikeouts were on the rise, home runs were on the rise because you had this launch angle revolution. You know, so how much does this have to do with the launch angle revolution right. and, and, and doing that? There's so, definitely a perfect soup, a, a storm going on here, absolutely, for sure. It's, it's a lot of things, and that's the other thing that makes it difficult why I added the bats to the conversation because you're right. It's, it's the balls, it's the bats, but it's also, you mentioned the velo of the pitchers are throwing harder, and, the, and the, everyone's trying to hit the ball in the air. Cody Bellinger's swing is not built for singles through the opposite field. <laughs> it, it's, yeah, exactly right. It's a hitter's mindset, and I think at a certain point there'll be a team, and probably the Oakland A's, who will realize, <laughs> right. like, you know what, actually, if we put the ball in play more often, you know, this may happen, or if we teach our guys to, you know, strategically hit to opposite field, that will take away shifts, and we'll start to see different trends, you know, again, that will be baseball, you know, recorrecting itself yeah. and adjusting and adapting. So, you know, you mentioned specifically, you know, certain at-bats, like, hey, did you win this at-bat? Or, you know, a fly ball going out of Coors Field where it might not elsewhere and, and the inconsistency with some baseballs flying out more than others. And while that is a shame... I think that is very, that's a very small scale. And I think what baseball is trying to do with these new baseballs is to improve it so that it, it does benefit pitchers a little bit and it does benefit the game. They, don't, they haven't benefited the game right now. You know what I mean? Again, right. people do, are enjoying you know, the home runs, but it's getting crazy. And, and you know, people that are covering the game on a daily basis like you and I and who love the history of the game and all these things, you know, that, that – that can be a shame, and we don't want a certain era to be colored a certain way because of baseballs, and people totally throw that out. You and I kind of know what that is, that's like when we talk about the great players of our era of the 90s, uh, growing yeah. up. Right. Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire. Yeah, but they, the players themselves were juiced, and then you just wipe them away. So we don't want that to happen right now in, in 2019, but as Major League Baseball tries to improve the quality 
of the baseball itself so that they can kind of phase out the, uh, you know, the Delaware River mud that they use to kind of uh, tack up the, the baseball a little bit before the games and the right. umpires. Make it so that it's um, constructed in such a way that it, it, it's a better grip for pitchers in all weather that the, the, you know, the pitchers will, will benefit. The blisters will start to reduce. And, and they already have. Exactly right. So I think you know, in three years from now, we'll go back and say, you know, we might be talking to a, a 31, 32-year-old Kyle Freeland who maybe has a Cy Young Award under his belt, talking about that time in which, man, there was, he was really struggling with, with holding the ball and the grip and, and how difficult that was and to not put the blame on the baseballs itself. But, man, that was the problem. But once he figured that out and once the rest of baseball figured that out and was able to adapt and adjust to that, man, I'm really glad that they did that. Yeah. Oh, I could totally see that happening. And, and you're right. I re- in the article I put up right before this one about the strike zone, I made that the whole running theme of the piece is that baseball changes, baseball adapts, it, it survives all of this stuff. And a lot of it's because the, the men playing the game will adapt in that way. Uh, you can only make those excuses for so long, like you said. It does make it a little frustrating for us to not know how to analyze certain things as well, but but you're right. It will normalize. I think that's sort of the word that, that you're getting at there is that this Good is going to, to normalize to an extent. And I don't think that Major League Baseball is blind to this going on, and I don't think that they're going to stop trying to make the game better and if there is enough feedback of like hey this is a little much they'll do what they can to scale it back not full sale like i said we're not going back to to how it was before but they're they're not going to stop trying to make improvements to the baseball i can't imagine you know so one way or another uh like with anything else they do in the game it's just uh the job of everyone out there to to make sure that their voices are heard uh, so that they can get the the type of game, uh, the, even the type of baseball that <laughs> you know that they deserve. And everyone's playing the exact same game in the exact same place. So say right. what you will about home runs flying out more at Coors Field, but the opposing team is still dealing with that. Right. Now, now where it becomes an issue for Rockies players and. Uh, particularly here at home, is the psychology of it, right? Is is the mindset of the players and what that does when you beat a player on a pitch, you make your pitch, and he still hits it out for a home run, or rather the ball travels out off the end of the bat for a home run. The, the, maybe the player didn't hit it, right? Right. <laughs> we'll give that credit to the equipment. But, yeah, there's a psychological effect to that that Rockies players might be suffering more than any other. But... It's, it's about wins and losses, right? So if, if all players are playing under the same rules, then it's their job to kind of figure that out and do that. And it absolutely can be frustrating, but the successful franchises that figure it out you know, sooner than later or sooner than everybody else, they're going to be the ones that have the championships. And ultimately, you know, that's what professional sports is all about. No, I think that was perfectly stated. I, I think that is the frustration for the Rockies and their fans is this notion that, like, I think that – started to feel like they finally got some handle on the chaos here and some of that had just been getting some pitchers that could handle it but that they were turning these games into less nonsensical just craziness and we've seen so much of that this year and you can think of games you know that Padres series in particular where it really felt like the season fell apart for the club as much as they were defined by the Rockies collapsing, they were also defined by the other teams giving up a ton of runs. And these were 16 to 13 games, and there were a bunch of those in there. And I think that that's where it's got to be most frustrating for Rockies pitchers who, you know, it's been several years since the humidor now and, and some of the things that they've tried to figure out to make this environment not so insane. And this year it feels like pre-humidor Coors Field all over again. And now the pitchers have to, not just the pitchers, the, the hitters have to stand out there on defense the whole time or have to try to go run down some of these baseballs. I, I think you're right. I think that's the, the biggest point is that it's become a new or, or at least a more intense emotional toll on the Rockies, especially when you lose a handful of games on some of these cheap home runs. You feel like stuff starts to spiral it all snowballs and you feel like man is there nothing we can do in this environment to just play but then john goes out the other night throws eight innings to shut out baseball they played two hours and 12 minutes with a 20 minute rain delay so it's possible you got to get the marlins to swing at every pitch you throw that helps but you know it's but, just what do you do yeah and and the rockies like that yeah yeah absolutely and and he's 
one of the most veteran pitchers on the team, and yet he's still he's so incredibly young. Yeah. Right, the Rockies have one of the youngest pitching staffs, or one of the most least experienced pitching staffs. So you know, you you have some older guys in here. They might be able to deal with like, yeah, I don't I don't care that I have a five two ERA. I'm I'm not going to the Hall of Fame. I'm 32 years old, and you know, I'm 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 playing for a ring. I'm playing for a championship, and I'm on my way to get there. And yeah, we're we're winning ball games. We're winning them late. Uh, we're, we're winning them 10 to 9, so I, I don't really care what my ERA is. But if you're a young player trying to establish yourself in the league, you know it's going to be it's going to be hard to kind of you know, look the other way when when guys are hitting home runs off the end of the bat, whether you made a good pitch or you made a bad pitch. You know you're you're uh, not predestined, but you're you're predisposed to basically thinking, all right. A sub-3 ERA means you're a good pitcher. A 4 ERA means you're an average pitcher. Well, Peter Lambert on Sunday you know, has a 6-plus a, a, a ERA. He stinks. He's, he's good. He's, right. he's, he's, project, he's doing what he needs to do. Now, right. of course, part of the, the Rockies coaching staff, part of their job is to you know, let him know in, in no uncertain terms, like, hey, dude, you're doing a great job. You're doing exactly what you know, we want. But you, know, you're, you can only believe that so much it, that only goes so far at the end of the day when you lay your head on the pillow you know are, are, you have a six era you go well there's but there's still there's no way that what they're saying is is true you right. know i mean you, you believe it to a degree but you go yeah but shoot i, I would still love to be a lot better you yeah. know it's it would be much nicer to have a four five era and go i need to be a little bit better than having a, a six five era so there's a real psychological component here to this for for rockies pitchers as it's always been and you know you, you see how that psych- psychology and uh, can work for a young guy like Kyle Freeland last year in this environment and how you know it it, it worked man it, it it was a snowball that that ran downhill and just picked up steam and got bigger and bigger and bigger and you know, fourth place in Cy Young voting in the National League, and now we're seeing it the exact opposite way. Now it's rolling down the other side of the hill, and uh, that that snowball is 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 full of mud and grass and, <laughs> and children's shoes, and it's it's snowball. awful. Yeah. It's it's not a pretty snowball this year, unfortunately, and um, and that's it's been hardest on on probably the Rockies more than any other team in baseball. And and I think if you're looking for silver linings, or actually if you just kind of look at some of these guys, I think that's one of the reasons why I feel like not only can they come back, but they can come back really, really strong because, as you said, it they have been mentally tested more than anybody else this year. And I feel like we have seen both Marquez and Freeland and quite obviously John Gray come through some of this fire. So like with a lot of other things, you know, managers will tell you or certain guys in the minor leagues will tell you if they're in development that failure is the best teacher. Watching a guy go through the minors and hit 330 his whole career, uh, you know, it might look great on paper and you might feel like he's going to be awesome, but you don't really know a baseball player until you see how they handle adversity. And Kyle Freeland has certainly handled as much adversity this year as I think anyone could expect, and I think we're we're literally watching him walk straight through the other side of this thing and come out a much more mentally strong pitcher. I don't think he was ready to see some of these balls go out like we were just talking about a minute ago, but next year he will be, and Lambert will be, and Marquez will be, and they'll have the example of John Gray right there doing exactly what you just said. I think he's got a 4.09 ERA on this season, something like that. But he has had an absolutely remarkable year, and the Rockies can point to that. He can point to that and go, look, we won the vast majority of the baseball games, and John Gray went out and pitched because he was really, really good, even if a handful of times his ERA went up because it's Coors Field. Look, that's what it's going to be. Like you just described that dynamic, and now all those other guys can look to that and go, and not only that, but that's a more achievable. Now you're telling yourself as Peter Lambert, who's got a six ERA, or Kyle Freeland, who's sitting in the sevens, or, you know, whatever. Oh, I don't have to become a 320 ERA pitcher. If I can match John Gray's 409, now I feel like that's achievable. If I can figure out a way to limit some of those cheap hits and some of those cheap home runs I gave up in 2019, now all of a sudden, if you've got a rotation that's got four guys who put up the production that John Gray did this season, they're right in the wild card hunt. And if you're winning ball games, you're not worried about your ERA. You're right. saying, hey, <laughs> right, right, now, right, now right. everything that the coaches are telling you, you're going, yeah, you're I believing it. it. 
Yeah. I buy it. And 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 all of that adversity that you mentioned through all those guys, who else is feeling that? Is anyone who's pitching down in Albuquerque? They're going through the exact same thing. Great that's, point. That's what you know. Jeff Breidich and this this organization has wanted to do is have their players through development get mentally strong in all these various ballparks. Hartford, of course, on the East Coast, you know, down the line, it's it's under less than 300. Uh, that's a whole other topic for another day. But that's a place that's got a real short porch in right field. And, you know, pitchers are, are giving up weak uh, fly ball home runs out there. Of course, you have Lancaster in, in high A. Um, at McCormick Field down in Asheville. Again, that's that's another park that's a little bit friendlier to, to hitters. So and the then Coors Light Field in Grand Junction where the ball flies like aeroplanes. There you go. And, and so you got to be mentally strong. And, you know, that's something when, when you're losing, right, and you're depending on a lot of these young guys, and you look down in the minors at pitching, and you go, all right, well, who's the next guy? Maybe there's somebody else that, you know, let's turn over another stone and go, maybe there's somebody, oh, hey, Rico Garcia, wow, he came out of nowhere last year at Lancaster, look what he did, man, had a couple really good starts in Hartford, man, he's amazing, look at what he did this year in Hartford, then he goes to Albuquerque, and he has a 7 ERA, and you go, shoot, man, what, what are we going to do about the future, but again, it's Then you not- realize that the 7 is the average ERA for the PCL. <laughs> Absolutely, you, you can start the all-star game for the PCL with a 7 ERA. <laughs> But you realize, like, no, it's about, you know, mental fortitude, right? Right. And, and that's what this organization is, is looking at, for better or worse. And up to this point, two straight playoff appearances, it was for the better. Right, right now it seems it's for the worse. But I think you have to trust that and, and, and say, you know what, that's how you, you're going to get through here right now and be successful at Coors Field. Is you, it, your success can't be defined by your ERA. It has to be. You know, Manny probably won't like this, but by your win-loss record, <laughs> to a degree. By your game score. I, I've gone on. Sure. I, but by your individual performances. Like, Maybe not even your game score. Right. Just the general idea of are you keeping your team in games. And, yes, you gave up five runs over six innings. But, man, we needed those six innings because the bullpen is totally depleted. And it's only a 5-4 game. And you right. gave up five runs in the first, but then you shut it down for the next five. So, right. again, it's, it's kind of all relative. But ERA is not. Not where you say a guy's good or bad. Yeah. Win and loss isn't you know where you find out yeah. if a guy's kept good your or team bad, in the game needs to be a keeping step. your team in the game. And again, they're learning that down there in, in the minors, and they need to do a better job of it here at Coors Field, particularly that you know that that mental component, that that psychology yeah. of it for pitchers. Get a quality start, even if it's Coors Field quality start. That's six and four. A Coors Field quality start, six innings, four runs. Give him that. Uh, I think I, I ran that by Chad Bettis a number of years ago, and, and he was on board with it. But you look at last year, the Rockies went, would go, they had 12 straight quality starts, and they missed one, then they'd rattle off another 10 straight quality starts. Were they going out throwing complete game shutouts and no hitters and stuff? No, by no means. But those, the, uh, And again, quality start is not a perfect stat, but I think that's what you're getting at there. That's what it's trying to accomplish is, is let us know. So I think that's a good place for these – yeah, and so what we need to do is re- redefine quality start, at right. least right now at Coors right. Field. And that's something that I'm sure if you and I were covering the beat in the 90s, we, we would have done. It would have been maybe maybe five innings and three runs or six innings and four runs, right. some kind of composite of that. But and it, it can even depend on the game. Like you said, you know, if, if it's a hot day at Coors Field and it's a 9-8 game then and one starter went, three and gave up six and another starter went five and gave up five well the guy who went five and gave up five had a much better outing even though his era is going to look horrible and there's a context to it all too especially if you have you know a game where all right like Herman marquez on saturday cramps up a little bit so you're going to the bullpen early hey lambert on sunday needs to go deep in the game to to help the bullpen out a little bit or if a guy comes out early and just doesn't have it that next guy on the next day really needs to go out and he might not need to shove but he needs to eat up some innings and you know obviously there's there's no uh, real stat for that i don't know how you could create unless you looked at every single game right but you know who has that stat or you know who's keeping track of that the coaches so again right right you're a player that has a six era you need to listen to your coaches because they are not blowing smoke up your butt. Right. You know, they, they are really telling you how it is and like, yes, you did what we needed you to do. If you did better, that would have been 
That would have been icing on the cake. But you did what you needed to do. You ate up innings. You kept us in this game. And I think ultimately, you know, we're, we're going to see the effects of, of that right now next season. I agree. When the starters talk about, and, and this is a topic for another day, uh, we talked about this in the clubhouse on Sunday, Drew is, is like, all right, looking back on this stretch, the final six weeks, and the, the effect that it has on the 2020 team right? And, and what these guys are doing and where their mindset is for next year. So we'll, we'll really see the work that's being done and, and, and really we'll be able to contextualize these next six weeks in April, in May, in June of next year when they're going back saying, hey, when we were out of it and, and, and there was no shot for us and we still lost games, this is what we were doing. Right. And we, we could touch on that another time for sure. No, that's great. I think that's a b- great place to leave this one. Looking forward uh, to having those conversations and looking back at all of this. And that's why we will be here for the next six weeks, keeping our eyes on all of this. And as Patrick said, trying to contextualize it for you. If you're not subscribed yet, you can get all kinds of good stuff on bsndenver.com. If you go over there and do that, including one thing you can get is a free shirt. So that's pretty cool. Uh, if you haven't checked out our shirts yet, please do so. They're really, really awesome. Awesome, made by the people over at D-Line, local Denver uh, company that's just fantastic at creating some awesome shirt designs for us. You can go to bsndenvermerch.com to, to check all that out. It's a damn good shirt. Yeah, it's, it's a, a damn good shirt. It's a damn good shirt. got got to get those slogans for them. But, uh, also, make sure that you're checking us out on all the social media. We're at Drew Creaseman, at Patrick D. Lines, at BSN Rockies. Give us a like, share, and subscribe on Facebook or whatever podcast app you happen to be using. Five-star review. I guess a four-star review if you think we're only worth it. But, hey, reviews are good. A little one sentence uh, always helps people find out who and what we are. So thank you so much for continuing to be absolutely awesome out there. We will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman and Patrick Lyons in here. And until next time. We will see you at the ballpark. Hey, if you're like me and you're trying to figure out how to be a mature, refined adult, or you just really like wine, you have to check out my friends over at Weinster. Weinster is an innovative online direct-to-consumer wine club connecting wine drinkers with more than 110 of the best wineries in America today. What makes Weinster special is that the majority of wineries they work with are too small to attract the attention of retailers, meaning not only are you getting access to some delicious and hard-to-find wines, you're also supporting real people making real wine, not one of the few large corporations producing most of the wines available in stores. With Weinster, all you have to do is sit back and relax as they curate a hand-picked shipment from the best small wine producers in the U.S. Then... When you fall in love with a couple of wines, as a club member, you can have them sent right back to your door with no shipping cost. I especially love Weinster because it was founded by three CU Boulder alums, so sign up today with the code BSN25 to get $25 off your first shipment of wine and start being a real grown-up. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R.